0: This morning we continue our work through the Gospel of John picking up where we left off last week we are in John chapter 11 where we will be reading verse 45 through chapter 12 verse 11 the words will be on the screen where you can follow along or if you'd like to look it up in your pew Bibles that can be found starting on page 1067 Again, from John's Gospel, his good news story about Jesus, beginning in chapter 11, verse 45. Following the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, it says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think that he will not come to the feast at all now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was he should let them know so that they might arrest him six days before the Passover Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead so they gave a dinner for him there Martha served And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, "'Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor?' He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Looking around this morning and seeing many, especially of our young people, I think about all of the different things that you're engaged with. I see some athletes who have given themselves to to football practice and volleyball right now or other sports later on. I see many of our FFA students who uh, give themselves to certain kinds of studies right now and then later on they're going to uh, go to shows and and programs and do those types of things. I I know we have dancers uh, who have participated in dance clubs or or actors that are in uh, different programs at school And, and for each one of those things. There's a bit of dedication that comes with it, so much that as I see some of the leaders uh, of some of those uh, organizations, coaches and instructors, oftentimes they'll have a speech when these students sign up. And the speech will go along the way of like this. Now that you are joining us, when you join us, you have to know that you are making a commitment A commitment to participate in all of the things that we have planned to prioritize this event above other things. And to make sure that you are here. So if you are going to join, know that you're making this commitment. And sometimes they even have people sign a pledge that they're going to prioritize that program above other things. And that commitment is big. It does take a lot of time to engage in those things. It takes a lot of physical and mental energy and effort. It, it takes you away from other things that you might have wanted to do otherwise. And yet, as big as that commitment is, most of those groups have no problem p- having people continually make those commitments. Because all of those people look at the cost that they have to do in order to participate, and in their estimation and in their mind, It's worth it that they think they're gonna get enough out of participating in it that that time that that energy is valuable enough to get what they're getting out of it as we've been working through the gospel of John and we've been asking this question, who is this Jesus? Last week we learned that Jesus not only claimed to be the resurrection and the life, but he showed that he was that by raising Lazarus from the dead with his own voice. Just by speaking, Lazarus come out, a man who had been dead for 4 days came out of the tomb and raised someone from the dead. That's an incredible miracle. And in light of that, the question that naturally arises out of that is, how do you respond to someone who can raise the dead? What do you do with a being so powerful that he speaks and the dead hear and come back to life? Well, we get a quick answer to that. As we start in our text for this morning, in verse 45, we learn that many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did believed in him. And that's an obvious uh, conclusion. If you're there and you see someone come out of a tomb... It's pretty natural to believe in that person, to accept the fact that he is the Messiah he had been claiming to be and that just as he had said, he and the Father are one, he is the Son of God, and to believe that those things are true. But that wasn't everybody, and the text continues saying that some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. These people worried about what this was going to mean. They worried about how the leaders would respond, and so they ran off to tattle and to tell and to to get input and letting them know that not only has this person healed the sick and done other incredible things, but the dead are now coming back to life. And there, our question, what do you do with someone that raises somebody from the dead, becomes their question. And they say it in verse 47, what are we to do? And they're asking that question for them out of fear. They had been watching Jesus closely and had seen and heard all of the things that he'd been teaching and and doing. They had seen the crowds gathering more and more and traveling in order to see them. And clearly, this is just going to make things a whole lot worse once this story gets out. And they speak of their fear in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. So historically remember now that though these Israelites were living in the land of Israel, uh, they were a conquered people. They were living under the broader of authority of the Roman Empire they were the ones the romans had ultimate say over how these people were going to live but especially compared to other empires throughout history the romans were rather lenient in many ways they allowed for the people to govern themselves independently as long as their leaders were fair and and gave them authority over certain areas a a lower authority they allowed the people to practice their own religion as long as it was just one religion. They figured that as long as the people were basically behaving themselves and acting in peace, that they would be left alone to do their own thing, and that's what the Jews liked and were taking advantage of in this particular case. But if Jesus divided the people... If he continued to create this new religion, if people continued to go to him and the nation was being divided, the Romans were going to notice this, and this was going to be a threat to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. They saw their peace being threatened. They saw their positions of authority in the community being threatened. Their power was being threatened, and they would have none of that. So what are they to do? The high priest Caiaphas has the answer. And he says, it is better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. In his mind, this is an either-or situation. Either we allow Jesus to continue to gain popularity, to continue to sow division among our people, and therefore risk the Romans coming in and just wiping us out and saying, you're not playing by the rules, that's it, we're scattering you and destroying you. Or we just get rid of Jesus, get rid of the troublemaker. And if we get rid of that one person, we get rid of the threat against the whole nation. And so which one has more value, this one guy or everybody else? Now, is there a justifiable reason to to kill Jesus? Has he committed any crimes or done anything wrong? No. No. But why allow justice to stand in the way of this pragmatic decision that has to be made? In balancing the scales and seeing which one has greater value or more important, they have decided that the wiser, more practical thing to do was to get rid of Jesus. And therefore the hunt is on for him and an opportunity to get rid of him is being looked for. And as long as they're killing innocent people, uh, they look and they say, well, Lazarus is another evidence of what Jesus had done, so let's make sure to get rid of him as well. Again, having done nothing wrong except being the recipient of Jesus' great miracle, miraculous act, they're like, well, we've got to get rid of this evidence. And I think it reveals a, a strong human tendency that we have that when we have our preconceived notions and ideas, and there's something out there that's going to challenge those ideas, rather than look at that in humility and change our minds, oftentimes it's like, well, let's just get rid of that evidence. Let's destroy it so we don't have to think about it or look at it or have it be there. Now, before we move on, just a couple of comments I want to highlight. First, as horrible as the decisions that are being made Uh, toward Jesus in this conversation, we have to realize that there's some truth to what they're seeing. Yes, Jesus, the man who raises others from the dead, was a threat to them. If you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he and the Father are one, that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hopes, then all of their power, authority, and position is completely gone. They have nothing to say over God. And so they were being threatened by his presence. And second, as John himself points out in a narrative note, Caiaphas was more right than he realized than the comments he made about one being sacrificed for the good of the many. John highlights that actually Caiaphas is exactly right. In just a few days, Jesus indeed would be sacrificed. And that sacrifice would have a beneficial benefit, not only for the Jews, but for the whole world. Now Caiaphas didn't realize the truth of what he was claiming but he was actually unintentionally being prophetic that Jesus was going to sacrifice and that sacrifice would have a benefit for more than just himself. Finally, let's also acknowledge that when we ask, what do you do with someone who raises people from the dead? One of the options for them and for us in response is you just get rid of him. That's something far too challenging against us, and so it has to be rejected and dismissed. I'll elaborate on that a little bit more nearer the end of this message. But let's continue in the story. As soon as we see the one response to our question of, what do you do? The scene shifts, and we see another response. Jesus, despite the threat against him, returns to Bethany, to the place where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha live, And they're having a dinner together. It seems like a celebratory dinner. Jesus raises your brother or you from the dead. That seems like a really good reason to have a party and to celebrate. And that's what they're doing. And at this dinner, this celebration, Mary does something incredible. Something similar to what she had probably seen or or heard another Mary, Mary Magdalene, of having done before. Mary... It says in 12 verse three, "Takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her prayer with her hair." It's interesting that when Mary is mentioned, almost always, she's mentioned in connection with Jesus' feet, sitting at his feet, falling to his feet, anointing his feet. The text clearly identifies this act of devotion and love as both expensive and extravagant. In a little bit, when Judas raises his objection, he says that they could have sold that perfume for 300 denarii. And if you remember, a denarii was the value of one day's worth of labor. And so you extrapolate that out, that means that this anointing oil, as perfume, was worth about 10 months worth of someone's salary. You put that into modern terms and think about your own income, that's many, tens of thousands of dollars for the vast majority of us in terms of how valuable this ointment is. It was certainly expensive. What is more, a woman's hair, especially back then, was seen as her glory And to use that to wipe someone's feet, the the gross job of a servant. And to do that with your hair. This is an incredible act of humble devotion of love to Jesus. But again, for Mary, it's worth it. Her brother was just raised from the dead the teacher she'd been learning about had just demonstrated his ultimate authority over all things. And, and how do you thank someone for that kind of a gift? This was Mary's only answer. You respond with an extravagant and an amazing act of devotion and love and gratitude. And Let me be just as clear as I was earlier. That when we keep that question before us, what are we to do with someone that raises others from the dead? This is another option. We respond with devotion and appreciation and acts of service. But we can't move on without also acknowledging that when something like that grand of a gesture happens, that others will be critical. And they will look at what you did or what Mary did in this case and see it as a complete waste. And that was the reaction of Judas. Right away, he responds by questioning Mary and suggesting that the money spent on that perfume could have been used for something far better. His stated objection was that it could have been sold and then the money given to the poor. And he was right. Mary probably could have sold that perfume for an awful lot of money, and that amount of money would have a significant impact on the lives of a lot of people. But John again jumps in here with another narrative note to let us know that that actually wasn't Judas's real objection. He wants her to give the money to the poor because, in order for it to get to the poor, he knows it's going to have to go through him first as the keeper of the purse. And once that happens, all of that money given to him is going to have happened what the other money has been happening to. And that's Judas was going to help the poor in helping himself by putting some of that money into his own pocket and financially benefiting and gaining from the gift that he had. That's what he saw being sacrificed and dumped out before him was money that he could have given or, or taken for himself. But Jesus responds to his stated objection, and he says, yes, the money could have gone to the poor, but that wouldn't solve the problem of poverty, and options and opportunities for helping the poor are always going to be there. But Jesus wasn't going to be there for very much longer, and this was Mary's one opportunity to truly demonstrate her deep appreciation for what Jesus had done for her and for her brother In all of that, notice that the response of Judas was very much like the response of the Pharisees. When both groups saw that something they valued and treasured was being threatened, power for the Pharisees and financial gain for Judas, they reacted in frustration and in a willingness to do whatever it would take to protect what they valued most, even if it meant harming or criticizing others. So having looked at that, Let's now think about that for our lives. As I started, last week we learned Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we asked the question, how, what do you do with someone that raises people from the dead? An obvious answer to that is to believe in him. Clearly, Mary is a wonderful example of that appropriate response. When someone gives you the gift of life, there is nothing too big, nothing too expensive, nothing too grand for Jesus to give back to Jesus in response to what he has done. And raising Lazarus from the grave was just the tip of the iceberg. Again, in just a few days from this time, Jesus was going to offer himself He was going to allow himself to be sacrificed upon the cross and to do so so that others would benefit, so that your sins could be cleansed, your life redeemed, your old self put to death and a new self brought to life that you could be restored in relationship with God and therefore given the promise and the assurance of eternal life with him. Is there anything that's too much to give to Jesus in response to that? Is there anything that the risen Savior should ask of us that we would say, that's far too much? But let's be honest. In accepting the gift and in believing in Jesus, some things will be threatened. And many of those things have value especially in our society your time will be threatened when jesus says believe in me he says follow me give of your devotion give of your service and all of that takes time and energy away from things that you might rather be doing right now but jesus says give that to me your finances will be threatened to follow jesus means to look at every financial gift that you have as a tool that have been given to you by god not for your glory and honor but to be used to bless and benefit your others and the community around you and so following jesus will threaten your financial stability and well-being you will be asked to give and to give sacrificially And following Jesus, your pride will be challenged. Your idols will have to fall, and your purpose for living will shift from your own comfort and glory to glorifying the God who gave you these gifts of life. And when you give of those things, others will look at you and they will mock you. They will question, why do you waste your time? Why do you give so much money? Why would you do that? The person is just going to waste it on drugs anyway. And because of that, for many, that's going to be asking too much. They're going to value their time. They're going to value their finances and their stability. They're going to value their pride and their idols, their temptations and their sins more than they value the gift of Jesus. And because of that, they're going to take the other option, the the options of the Pharisees and Judas, which is let's get rid of him. Either through active dismissal and ignoring of Jesus, bringing him down and pretending like he isn't who he claims to be, or by putting on a false face and saying, oh yeah, I'm going along with him, when in reality, you haven't really been willing to fully surrender to him as your Lord and your savior. You wanna claim the benefits, but you don't wanna sacrifice anything in order to follow him. We're about to approach this table. This table that Jesus says is a reminder of him. A reminder of what Jesus saw as valuable. And as I mentioned it to the young children, when Jesus weighed, what was more valuable? His comfort? His avoiding any pain? His staying in a a comfortable place? Or you? He chose to go through the suffering and the pain, as, as Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, which was your salvation. And a question I want all of us to be asking is this. How do we respond? What do we give in response to the great sacrifice that Christ has given to us? What do you do with a Jesus who offers you resurrection from the dead? And is anything too much? Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we marvel at the God that you are and the things that you have done, the evidence of which we have seen poured out and explained to us again this morning. And in marveling at the power that you had to heal the sick, to restore the broken, to give sight to the blind, to drive out demons, and even to raise the dead, we thank you that that power was spoken into our lives. And as we prepare to receive communion, may we not only remember what you gave in order to redeem us, but may it call us to reflect on how we are to respond, how we are to give of ourselves and and the acts of gratitude that we can give to thank you for the great gifts you have given to us. So as we once again marvel at your sacrifice, may it inspire us to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received outside of this place. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.